0: Hello, hello, hi everybody, and welcome to Inspire Club, brought to you by Inspiring Workplaces. I'm Ruth Dance, I'm one half of the hosting team for Inspire Club, and I am really, really excited about today's episode. Just like in the 1990s classic Fight Club, we only have one rule too. Our only rule, though, is that each guest must share a story of one person who has inspired them along the way. Particularly in the world of work, we really want to put out positivity and maybe thank someone that didn't even know they'd inspired someone else in the world. Also, in each of our episodes, we do ask a guest to recommend someone that they think would be a great guest on Inspire Club. Way back when, in episode five of Inspire Club in 2020, Sonia Stocker, who was our guest then, recommended today's guest. And I'm so glad that we finally managed to track him down and he's a guest for today's um, Inspire Club. His name is Bobby Duffy. He wrote a book um, that Sonia read uh, before we um, recorded the episode with her back last year. And that book's called Perils of Perception. She talked about how the book is around our perceptions lead us to believe something that we think is true, but actually, statistically and factually, it really isn't. She said she'd love to hear more about Bobby's predictions for the workplace and also for the years ahead. Sonia also described Bobby as an academic, but also a really inspirational person to listen to. There you go, Bobby. Bobby is the Professor of Public Policy and the Director at the Policy Institute. He has worked across most public policy areas in his career of 25 years in policy research and evaluation. He has been seconded to the Prime Minister's Strategy Unit and the Centre for Analysis and Social Exclusion at the London School of Economics. I'm just about managed to get that mouthful out and hoping that Bobby might elaborate a bit more on that, particularly for people that are maybe not familiar with the Policy Institute and those that are outside of the UK. His new book, yes, he's written a second book, and that is coming out next Thursday, is called Generations. This book is going to be challenging the myths and stereotypes around generational trends and helping us to seek a greater understanding around generational challenges. It's certainly a subject that Inspiring Workplaces have talked about. We've worked on and um, collaboration guides and ebooks with our community. And even a couple of years ago, back when we could meet in person, um, we ran a dinner debate on that with some of our community as well. So before I carry on talking about generational challenges and books and everything, Bobby, welcome.
1: Yeah, great to be here. Thank you, Ruth, lovely introduction.
0: <laughs> well, Sonia helped with most of that introduction back in a previous episode. Um, and congratulations on getting to nearly book launch and publication date. I can imagine in a in a lockdown situation that has not been easy.
1: Yeah, I mean it's yes, yeah, it is one of those things that you feel quite differently because you're you're isolated from people. So I remember the first book was quite exciting and you're getting ready for events and seeing you know crowds and I suppose it's like uh, the gap is getting a reaction from an audience when you're talking to it doing virtual events is just so much harder because you can't you can't interact in the same way with people. Um, and that's, that's made it so clear how important it is to get people together. Because it is, it's a conversation. These, while it might feel like events are you talking and broadcasting, actually it's much more conversational than you realize um, until you have to do it to a screen on Zoom. And, then you, and then, you, then you remember that you miss all this, the reactions from the crowd and all that type of stuff. It's um, crucial.
0: Yeah, yeah. We think we did so well, but actually we're getting to that point where we really need to be able to see people from the shoulders down and assess (laughs) body language and be able to butt in and not have to take yourself off mute when you want to talk.
1: (laughs) That's right. All of that. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
0: Yeah. So um, before we get started, actually, on our first rule of Inspire Club, um, do you want to share a little bit more about the book that's coming out next Thursday um, outside of what I've said around generational challenges? Yeah,
1: yeah. I mean, at, at heart, the book is saying that generations and generational thinking—thinking thinking about generations—is a really big idea. That's uh, you see it throughout sociology and philosophy as seen as one of the key drivers of how societies change and refresh. Um, and you know, you get very big philosophers like Auguste Comte or sociologists like Karl Mannheim, who see effectively generations as the most important um, aspect of human societal change. But sadly, um, we've taken that very big idea and we've kind of corrupted and lost it in a whole sea of nonsense about stereotypes and myths, about why, how and why generations are different from each other, um, exaggerated stereotypes and cliches that we're just bombarded with daily about millennials or Gen Z being this or that, millennials killing this or killing that, baby boomers being sociopaths, and there's literally books written about how baby boomers are a sociopathic generation. Um, and we've kind of lost the uh, we've lost the real essence of what this is, which is about understanding who we are and how we're changing as a society overall. So that's the the goal of the book is to separate those myths, which there are a lot of. And, and to be honest, workplace-based research and consultancy is one of the drivers of it quite often. Marketing research is the biggest driver, but then workplace-based research is sometimes awful on this, sometimes great, but you know, more often than not, very bad at exaggerating differences. Uh, and separate that from what is underlying that, there's some really important changes where the generations are different and stay different as they get old. Um, Fundamentally, there's one little tool in the book, which I use, I've used for decades now, which is effectively, when you look at societies or individuals and how they're changing, there's only three effects that explain all change. Um, One is a cohort effect, which is one generation is different from another and stays different. One is a life cycle effect, which is that People change as they get older as they go through different life stages in a fairly predictable way. Um, a very powerful effect that's often left out. So a lot of the myths are to do with just young people, that um, things that are claimed to be different for Gen Z or millennials are actually just a reflection of youth, and nothing else, really. Uh, and then uh, the final effect is period effect, where something happens, it changes uh, things for everyone. So the pandemic is the classic period effect where we've all been affected by it in some way. And one of the just so very simple tips and tricks is, whenever you're seeing a change, just trying to work out in your own head, is this a cohort life cycle or period effect? Is really, really useful to try to understand. Uh, is this a change that's gonna stick for the long-term or is it just a reflection of a repeated pattern that we see throughout history? Um, and don't worry about it so much. So that's what the book tries to do. It tries to apply that sort of framework to understand what's really changing.
0: That sounds really, really helpful. Instead of, like you said, watching a five-part, PowerPoint presentation where we've just put people into boxes based on their date of birth and completely stopped at that point and said, this is all the things about these people. And if if, if you have people that work in your team that are in this age bracket, expect them to be like this, doesn't really work. And it's really, really helpful to think about those three three things. I, I think about my own children and I think, well, how am I ever gonna be able to relate to them? like We didn't have, uh, mobile phones when i was younger like we didn't we didn't definitely didn't have social media or anything like that when i when i was growing up like how am i going to be able to relate to them but the reality is that maybe when they have children i'll be able to relate to that part of that life cycle and be able to relate to certain stages it's really really interesting my children will never know life life's like um not to wear masks and not uh, to, like pre-pandemic they'll never remember that like um to my twins yeah. were born a couple of months before the pandemic started or probably actually yeah. during the pandemic so um yeah. yeah it sounds sounds super interesting i can't wait to get my hands on a copy and just over a week. <laughs> um, yeah. really really interesting. Let's let's get let's um get into my first rule uh, of inspired club before I forget to follow my own rules. Um could you share a story with us about someone that has inspired you along the way and, and why?
1: Yeah, I, yeah, that's um I'd love to. Uh it's uh, it was an early line manager of mine who then went on to be uh like director of the division and then managing director and then went off into a global role because he you know he's a very talented leader i guess um and i think the the story that i remember the most and this is it's uh, for different sorts of reasons is that he actually had like a uh map of his career because he he was quite junior when i when he was my line manager because i'd just come in so he was um only 2 or 3 years ahead of me in in that. But he had he'd mapped out his career <laughs> in a kind of bubble diagram um, that related his strengths to the different types of roles that he could do and then how that would help him towards his end point. And I'd never <laughs> seen or heard anyone do that when he was, must have been he was a little bit older, but he wasn't that much older. Um, and Uh, It must have been in the mid-20s, I guess. And having that sort of thinking of planning ahead was uh, just completely new to me, as someone relatively new out of uni, just winging it. Um, And it was really quite... It was inspiring, and not in the sense of, God, that's what everyone should be doing, that type of um, detailed uh, career planning, but just that thought of writing it down, thinking it through an honest view of your own strengths and weaknesses or things that you need to to put in place was really, really interesting. And I, and it didn't, it's not to say that it massively changed me and my still quite uh, happenstance view of things that things just happen to, to some degree, but um, it was just really, it was really great to see someone doing that and thinking about themselves as a project, I guess, I suppose that was, we are all project managers of particular things. And it is the way you would approach an evaluation or a project or the sorts of things that I do in my my day job. Um, And that was really good. And it it wasn't like, uh, the reason it was inspiring, it wasn't like didactic about it, everyone should be doing this or this is the way to do it, but it was just a different way of thinking.
0: Yeah, I like I like that. I like how you put thinking of yourself as a project. And we don't we often don't even really think about ourselves, maybe about what we're gonna eat or what we're gonna wear or where we're gonna go on holiday or um what we're gonna do, but not really thinking about our lives and our careers as a project as such. So yeah, that's that's really really interesting. And like you say, so early on in your career where you're probably keen to please and Work hard and just get through each month. Let's say not really thinking about long term, especially not in them um, bubble diagrams. Wow, that's really interesting. Are you still in contact with this line manager? Yeah,
1: he's um yeah, intermittently, but yeah, he's gone off to do different sorts of things. So he did. I mean, like he he didn't end up following his exact career path. I wouldn't have said, compared from uh, my memory of it. Um, but I think it was that point of we put so much effort into our day jobs. And you know we have, detail, we have you know, very detailed approaches to project management and methodologies and all sorts of other things that you can apply to that. And you do not apply a fraction of that thinking to what it is that you want to do. You know, even, not even a tiny fraction of that amount that I would do daily on my day job on individual projects I will forget about in um, the next few months. Um, whereas uh, your own career... Um, yeah, you just see it just sort of happens to you, and that's uh, that's a thing worth questioning without getting too obsessed obsessed by it. But it's a thing worth questioning.
0: Yeah, is, is is our career just happening to us, or can we have somewhat of control over it? Can we can we control it and can we project manage it ourselves? <laughs> yeah, really, really interesting. Thanks for sharing that, Bobby. Um, but we, we we ask a lot of our community to share this with them, share share this subject with us, which is, what is your why? What what gets you out of bed in the morning? What is your what what's driven you to be so successful and write books and in in what gets you out of bed? I'll stop there. What is your why?
1: <laughs> I've got an enormous subject matter interest in what I do. I suppose is um, so I feel. In many ways, what I get to do is a bit of a privilege, not so much a a chore because in terms of the subject uh, that i the subjects that I look at i get it's one of those ones where you know it's where sometimes you get a little bit of i can't believe they pay me to do this sort of stuff because i'm just interested in it anyway um so it's that i've got a really real real interest in a geeky interest in the sorts of things that I get to study or um uh, research or evaluate or uh, talk about. So there is there is that element. I mean, obviously, you know, a lot of the day job is the messiness of a workplace and running those uh, those types of units is um, like everywhere. There's always challenges that are uh, much more messy and and less satisfying. But the, the fundamental of being able to, in my case, understand public opinion and behaviour and uh, research that in a fairly free and open way is more of a privilege. And it sort of goes, Policy Institute at King's is a similar sort of thing where we get to shape our own agenda a fair bit and then incredible privilege of having a neutral convening space like King's College London and all all of the great stuff that comes around from being in a university of people wanting to engage with you that is a privilege um uh, so the, the thing that is, i suppose it's the the why a little bit is making the best use of that uh, that i can because um, it's uh it is a it's something that shouldn't be taken for granted that you can do this so it's uh, it's not about just pursuing your own interests you should be looking at stuff that's important or will make a difference um make the world a better place in the end which is king's objective um and that's uh and we're you know very small part of that but it is it is part of that um idea that we the things that we can do can actually improve things
0: yeah making the world a better place improving the world and enjoying and having a as you said a geeky interest in what i do that's um that's amazing. Like, that just, sometimes when people say to me, like, I don't do what I do to then go out and do the things I love on weekends. Like I love what I do every day. Like I'm just can't believe I'm getting paid to do this. That's, that's a pretty good, like purpose generator to, to get you out of bed and to get you working every day. That's amazing.
1: Yeah, that is good. I'm not saying that's what it's like every day. No, <laughs> and there isn't there isn't loads of rubbish that you have to deal with or whatever else. But there is. Um, but fundamentally, yes, that's uh, having that that sense that it is a it is, you take pleasure in big chunks of it is really really important.
0: What's the best experience that you've ever had in your working life?
1: Yeah, it's an interesting one. That one I was sort of. Um, You've had lots of highs of you know, ones off one off things where you've I don't know, you've engaged with someone very important or um uh and and changed, you know, helps to change some different things. But I think I mean the one that when I was looking at that question it was I used to do political polling at Ipsos Mori, um and we did i oversaw the general elections um polling, which was always like an incredibly frenetic period, um, in the run up to a general election, we would do prediction polling for the media and others. Um, and that it was those, and they, sometimes they went well <laughs> and we were good uh, and close to the result. And sometimes they didn't go so well, but I wouldn't really pick out one that went really well. Um, it's more the overall experience of that. I suppose it is the um, uh, experience of that. Everyone is looking at that. There's a huge interest in it. We're, again, a very small part of it. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's going to affect the next X years. Um, and you are trying your best, mutually, to get an idea of what's happening and what's going to happen. And you have no time to do it in it's very you know we we work through the night and it seems easy from the outside or it seems straight you know not easy but it seems like pretty straightforward process from the outside but there's a lot more to it when you're working on it so you've got a team that is working flat out and sort of disappears into a bubble to do this type of work um and then comes out the other end uh, either as heroes of getting it right or as villains of getting it wrong and you can't really tell but the um anyway whichever whichever way it goes they're quite they're sort of intense experiences i guess and it's sort of they're the ones that stand out when you look back there's a lot of philosophy and sociology on this
0: i'm never going to look at a polling on my tv in the comfort of my own home in quite the same way again now (laughs) like you say just i just think that they've just kind of like got some data from online or polled some people and brought them all together. But now I know that there are teams of people who are highly caffeinated that are working in bubbles across across the country or across the world, I guess. I guess it must be the same in in all parts of the world whenever they oh, have really? elections, re-elections or whatever they, however they go about managing their countries. And like you said, that is then affecting people's lives, potentially for the rest of their lives, depending on what stage they're at in their lives. So, links quite nicely into your book as well, I'm sure, I'm sure. Um, wow, that's really, really interesting. What do you think is a major priority right now in the world of work?
1: Well, I mean, it's COVID. It's, um, I'm afraid you can't get away from that. Um, I was just talking to our principal At King's before this, about the extent to which, you know, again, uh, being a major employer in London, as King's College uh, is, and being a key part of the city more generally, and having that convening power that um, we really want to have a focus on the changing workplace in light of COVID and, and. pull some things research and great thinking together and events and everything else around this, because it's just, uh, well, you, you and your audience will know this, um, really well, but the, the implications from this for the changing nature of work and workplaces is going to be huge and, uh, not, not a blip and, um, have all sorts of endless repercussions on how places work and cities work, and um, uh, yeah, and how society works more generally. We did a whole series of studies last year on life under lockdown, we called it um, partly with the BBC and with others too, um, which looked at people's changing. And, and at the end of that, there was a little segmentation study into how people were feeling about coming back. Um, and it was, you know, was three groups of people. Um, there was um, the, the keen, keen to get back, um, <clears throat> get on with life. There was the concerned who were still really worried about how this, uh, how it's going to be working, how it's going to be safe for people. And the, the content who are pretty content with this new form of life of, staying at, at home and the interesting thing about that was it was no demographic predictor of that it wasn't it cut across age groups and genders and social classes it wasn't predictable on the basis of young versus old or <clears throat> or men versus women or uh, better off versus worse off it was it was like where people popped up in those types of groups was quite unpredictable there's much so there's a lot more to this than it's going to be quite yeah unpredictable
0: yeah absolutely we're we're hearing of organizations that are losing really really good talent right now because they maybe sit in the comfort group and maybe they didn't predict that they would sit in that comfort group or they assumed that they wouldn't and they uh, do not want to come back into a uh, office or commute for four hours a day or whatever um and they are very highly productive in what they're doing and uh, working at home and they're losing this talent now because they're not they're not um support, supportive enough in, or not adapting their their strategy and how they operate as a business because of that very very lots of challenges lots of challenges i'm hearing um human resources departments people departments have got their work cut out from a policy perspective as well and how they do that in the back end um like I was even hearing recently around people that want to be able to work from anywhere that's great and they're super productive but if they want to go and work um in a different country for a month the tax implications that come with that etc cetera, etc cetera. so there's there's a lot of stuff going on in the back end as well isn't that it's going to take a long time rather than just giving people a choice and seeing what happens
1: yeah i just i i think it's yes it's it's like uh, yeah i think like lots of the pandemic stuff we thought it you can see how opinion has changed over time rather being a blip to oh yeah it lasts for a little while um and then lasts for a long time and then uh, you know, increasingly there's aspects that you think aren't going to be changed for the very long term, if not forever. So, yeah, I uh, really, it's clearly the biggest the biggest challenge um, that we're all grappling with, both directly as employers, but then most fr- more from our policy institute point of view and King's point of view, from a public policy and city policy and everything else point of view, it um, touches everything.
0: Um, Bobby, it sounds like you really... Enjoy what you do because you have such a keen interest in everything that you get to do. But if I said to you, you're going to have to swap jobs with someone for a day, is there anyone that you would swap jobs with, and and why?
1: It's a really good question. So the thing I, because I thought about this is again because it was um, well, I often <laughs> I often draw parallels with how things are going in corporate world and then football teams, <laughs> and and I would really love. And I'm a fan of a particular club, but. It doesn't really matter to me. I'd really like to see what a football manager, and like a top-level one, I mean, like Premier League or um, top league in any country really has to do day-to-day. I say that's a fascinating... because You see some brilliant leaders as football managers around the world again, um, and they're really inspiring uh, people. But the blend of things that they have to do is a complete mystery to me. I, I maybe should read more biographies or something from them, but it is because they have to they have to deal with so many different things beyond the direct product on the pitch. Um, and, and I'm I just are fascinated by that, about how they get that how they get that balance right. Um, and, and it's just a mystery to me about what do they spend their day doing. <laughs> I would I would love to know the extent to which it's sponsors and you know internal management stuff versus just that inspiring role you expect i expect it's iceberg like and what we think i don't know Jurgen klopp uh, or um uh pep guardiola does day to day is that sort of talking to the media inspiring the team and that type of stuff is nothing like what they have to do i don't it'd be really interesting to know as an archetype of where leader inspiration seems to be central to performance how that actually fits into their what they have to do
0: what they do what they do yeah what we see like you say on the on the tv or on the pitch it's just the tip of the iceberg and the reality yeah how interesting i mean i'm not really a huge football follower but you've made me want to go and shadow a football manager for a day now (laughs) as well and just see what really goes on behind the scenes like are they really at the stadium the whole time like that's what I always assumed they're just on the pitch (laughs) or they're at the training ground but like you say the reality is like are they having performance conversations are they negotiating like sponsorship deals like what do they do that's um that's really interesting if we have anyone that knows any Leadership in football that's willing to let Bobby come and shadow them for a day Then do let yeah. us know and Bobby I'll put you in touch and maybe I'll come along just for the fun of it for the day as well and uh, we can report back
1: <laughs> Yeah, only if it's Arsenal to be honest, I don't really want to go to <laughs> <laughs> I mean, too. Was,
0: Okay, okay now now again now again. Yeah, <laughs> yeah um, You you juggle an awful lot of things Bobby Um, and you I as we've we've heard some of the not only are you authoring books, but you're um working on research and policy and leading and everything else. Um well, how do you stay productive?
1: Mm.
0: Have you got any tactics?
1: Yeah, I mean I don't I don't know that oh. I am massively productive. I'm sort of I do I, I have a yeah, I have a a long concentration span, I suppose, that I um I can just do stuff for a long time. So the book I 14 hour days on for example I mean, just do it um, and I think the bit um, the, the product the sort of tip or tri- trick or anything the only thing that I could think of and it's not very um, special as a tip is just start I mean I find that myself as I prevarication is obviously the the, the greatest um, uh, risk in lots of these things but even and I do a lot of writing or presentations or uh, those types of things. And and it is just starting and the book writing is the same. You just write because you know you're gonna have to rewrite in any case. But it's, you always get something from that first draft or even first sketch of thoughts. So you literally get something or anything down or very much that rather than a planner um, where you would sketch out. The whole story, from beginning to end. So that, that, that yeah, I'm not sure that's a good tip for people. Maybe it's much more efficient to do that sketching out. But I always find that you kind of uh, it's more of a journey of finding bits as you go along. Uh, for me, rather than having
0: a complete map. Yeah, yeah. I guess it, everyone's got their own styles, learning styles, personality styles. I would procrastinate the sketching out stage for years. Like <laughs> I could just I like if someone asked me to write a plan before I started working on something, that plan just would never come to fruition. Like I just would never get that plan off the ground. But if someone asked me to just start it and see what happens and learn along the way, like I'd I'd get I'd get in there straight away. So quite similar to you in that in that respect. Just get a few words on paper or just um just eat the frog is the terminology to beat procrastination. Just eat that frog and just get started. Um, stop letting it grip it in your ear. Um, but yeah, so anyone anyone that's like Bobby and I and um, still hasn't got that plan off the ground, then maybe just get started on what you've been planning on doing. Just get started today. Yeah. Report back. How did it go? <laughs> um, um, You talked a little bit about, just getting started and learning along the way. Is there anything that you are learning at the moment, either through the process of work or something that you're going out of your way to further yourself in? That's
1: a good question. I mean, I, I suppose mine, mine ends up being quite subject-driven rather than skills-based because that's the, the nature of the job, I suppose. So, I mean, I am the, the thing that I've learned a little bit about from my, I've only done this mainly my second book, but the thing that you've learned about from the book is that you learn so much more about the subject after you've written it, <laughs> which is quite frustrating in some ways because you wish you'd put it in the book. But it is. So I'm learning. I'm still learning about generations because people come to you once you've got a book on it. On a subject, and um, tell you other stuff that you should have already have known.
0: You should have um, put in the book. <laughs> yeah,
1: so that's I'm still learning that, and like loads of good stuff about um, uh, what what we learn in other countries. Um, the, uh, the book is actually the book's coming out in the US as well at the end of October, so I'm having um, more of a focus on that the US context for this, and that's been great um, in understanding that because it is so it's, it's a longer. It's got a longer history of um, talking about generations in the US quite so much as... Uh, actually, they're calling it the generational myth in the US rather than generations because that sort of shows how much further they sort of sick of generational uh, thinking um, there and are quite sort of ready, ready to um, question it, I suppose. Um, so I'm still learning that and that's, that's great, I think. I mean, it was the same with the misperceptions book. I learned so much after it about why why we're wrong about things um uh, so yeah still they're very much a process i suppose not an end point um again is, is what you learn um and that's that's good that's good for me because it just it all helps with the broader understanding of society and change
0: yeah it's really interesting when you talk about i wrote a book people then come to you for all the knowledge around that book but once the book's gone out and it's been printed or publicate you know publicated then you're still learning more there's still more that you can add you can keep adding chapters onto the end or you can keep amending it and i guess that's the point of volume two and reiterations in volume three and
1: yeah i mean it's just not even the book itself you wouldn't know the book is done and maybe updated but it's more the sort of life learning from it i think and the discussions you get into with people um and yeah, The generational one is you know what is a lot more about what do we actually do to provide a better future for next generation, and then you start to get into what are the policy or practice things that you can do to get back that bit of faith. We've lost a lot of faith that the future is going to be better for the next generation, and um, uh, it's that type of thing that you move on to actually. So, what do you do now?
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. <clears throat> um, as, as our listeners know, I have twins that are one and, and a five year old. And I often hear of other friends that have children similar age being like, I'm scared about the world my children are going to grow up in, or I don't know about the world my children are going to grow up in, or I'm really worried about their future. The reality is is that we could do some more learning and research around this and we could actually help shape that future for them and we could actually be a part of that rather than just sitting back and watching and being scared, right?
1: Yeah, well exactly. I mean that's one of the I don't want to talk too much about the book. Um, i haven't
0: read it just yeah but i mean but
1: that's exactly right is one of the one of the most damaging aspects of some of the bad generational thinking is that it makes it feel like we've got no agency that there's different types of generations characteristics and you're set with that characteristic of um you know millennials are narcissistic snowflakes and baby boomers are sociopaths or whatever those and then you go towards and then you've got to then um, people have used it in the us including you know important people like steve bannon who advised donald trump and um all of those things, have used it as a, a way of saying that crisis is inevitable we've got this crisis coming up because we've got this combination of generations uh coming up which will be which will lead to conflict um and the trouble with that is it just does give this sense that there's nothing you can do when when you take the longer term view of how generations have changed in public um, and uh, behavior and attitudes have changed over time, you see that there's always ups and downs in these things going back to the 70s, faith in democracy or trust in other people. And it is an inevitable decline and society can improve and change and adapt to all sorts of challenges. Um, And because we can see it in the history of this and, and that's a, That is one of the real risks of the bad generational thinking is uh, that it's all set, um, that you can't, you've got these vast swathes of the population of this particular character or going in this particular direction, and there's nothing we can do to change that. And that's uh, horrible to take away agency from people because it actually gives us an excuse not to do anything um, when actually there's lots we could do.
0: Absolutely, it's dangerous thinking. It's like saying, well, Climate change is happening and there's nothing we can do. It's just dangerous, right? Um, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna um, pick up the pace for our quick fire round. Are you ready?
1: Yes, oh great. Right. I didn't realise it was a quick fire round. Good.
0: Right then. So quick fire round. If you were a teacher, what would you teach?
1: Oh, see, I'd love to do the misperceptions course. That would be great. Do that in schools, tell kids why we get these types of basic things wrong. Cause there's some tips and tricks you can do to try to get a better understanding of the world. That would be a great thing to do.
0: Sounds amazing. I'm definitely starting young in schools as well. Um, do, do Get it get it in early <laughs> before things are too ingrained in us. Yeah, that sounds amazing. Are you an early bird or a night owl?
1: Oh, very much a night owl, even with kids. Yeah. My kids are older now, so I can get away with being more of a night owl again.
0: Yeah. That they're not up at 4.35 in the morning like mine then.
1: Uh, I'm sorry about it, I feel sorry for you. Yes.
0: We we share, um, we have a, a playlist on Spotify and other musical streaming platforms, um, which is the Inspire, um, Inspire playlist. And it is all of the songs that fire up all of our guests in our community around the world. Is there a particular song that you love?
1: Oh, wow, so many I'm um, big music. Geek. that's such a good and difficult question um uh, so i mean like it may be too. Uh, there's um there's a band called los campesinos who are just an indie pop band in who are quite getting quite old now but they are <laughs> uh, very lively so uh it would be i think it's called sweet dreams sweet cheeks which gives you an idea of.
0: i've got it i found it <laughs>
1: But that's how they finish off their gigs um, when they're doing live music. And I miss I miss those sorts of gig things. So we play that to the kids and the kids know all the words, even though they hate that sort of music. And
0: then
1: they, <laughs> they jump around to that.
0: Yep, yeah, it's called Sweet Dreams, Sweet Cheeks by Los Campesinos. I found it and we are going to add that to our playlist. That was released in 2008.
1: Yeah, that's, yeah, that's quite a while ago now.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I'm very old. <laughs> you don't look old. <laughs> um, okay, we're gonna we're gonna add that one, and we will get listening to that as a team later on. Um, what about around the house? Are you are you hands on around the house, or are you hope that no one saw that? Leave it to someone else.
1: Yeah, definitely the latter. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, we've got quite a messy house, but none of us are particularly um, <laughs> uh, on top of that sort of stuff.
0: Well, it's good you admit it. You know what, Bobby, most guests on the podcast say, no, no, I, I'm definitely hands-on around the house. <laughs>
1: no, no, we're... Uh, but, yeah, it's a family trait, I think, rather than...
0: <laughs> <laughs> it's not just me, it's all of us. It's not
1: just me, it's all of us, yeah. It's the entire tape.
0: Duffy household. <laughs> um, uh, have you got a favourite film?
1: Oh, that's... I mean, it is... It's... um. So, It's a Wonderful Life. I do really, really like it. And I know it's such a cliche, but I talk about it in the book because it's actually, it's very useful framework for thinking about what impact we have on the world. And in its incredibly dark film that is somehow <laughs> being transformed into a Christmas, um, you know, feel good film, but it's actually Frank Capra, very dark um, treatment of lots of the things. Obviously it's got quite a yeah, a lovely schmaltzy ending, but the actual, when you look at the content of the film, there's quite some horrible themes in there. Um, so I do like that as a, as a film and it's actually, a, yeah, I use it in the final chapter of the book to try to illustrate um, how we can understand our impact um, on the world.
0: Yeah, it's a wonderful life get that it's nearly christmas right <laughs> we'll, yeah. be, we'll be showing that in households um i know travel's been off the cards for a while now for many of us but um is there anywhere in the world that you've visited that really stays with you
1: yeah we got really lucky once and um I had a conference in los angeles and then partner came out and uh, we went to hawaii kawaii in hawaii and it was um we thought it was just off the coast. We were so ignorant. This was a long time ago. We thought it was just off the coast of the US. <laughs> it's actually obviously in the middle of the Pacific. So we had this other eight hour or nine hour flight into it. And we got, you know, it was a real disaster from a sort of planning point of view. We made, it knocked everything out. But, but most amazing place. I don't think I'll ever get back there. It was only, it was really expensive and difficult to get to, in particular with kids. But it was incredible. It's just like, it's, it's like you see in the movies, but even better.
0: We have members of our community and listeners who are based in Hawaii, uh, which, which is amazing. We've had them join our workshops recently. And as, as, as you'd predict, they say, aloha from Hawaii. <laughs> yeah,
1: it's, uh, they're very lucky. But yeah, it's, um, it's yeah incredibly beautiful place.
0: Yeah, one of our colleagues in um, Amy, who works in the Inspiring Workplaces team, she's been there. It's um, definitely on my list, but maybe not right now. Don't, <laughs> maybe not not with the kids right now. Um, okay. And my my final question for our um our chat today is: You came through to us by being recommended from a previous guest. Who would you recommend as someone to see on a future episode of the Inspire Club podcast? Yeah.
1: So I. I was, um, when you were talking about authenticity, I was, uh, there's a colleague, or there's a visiting um, professor of ours called Alice Sherwood, who's writing a book on this authenticity, and what does it actually mean? And I did wonder whether, because not unlike generations, authenticity is one of those words that is used and misused um, in both marketing thinking and in workplace-based thinking, but it is but also is very valuable if you think about it in the right way. So I did wonder whether, I think Alice's book's out in March, I wonder whether it's um, having a discussion about what she's learned about what what does authenticity actually mean to people and how is it useful as a concept could be a really interesting discussion for you and your audience.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's certainly a subject that comes up a lot, particularly when when we talk around leadership um, and, and when we talk around communication, and there are two subjects right now that being truly authentic in how we lead and how we communicate and really truly authentic is what's making a real difference, particularly with this post COVID or the new way, I shouldn't even say post COVID, we're still in it, right? Like just this kind of new way of living now and breathing and being and being completely and truly authentic with one another is, is, is what's gonna be really key. So Alice, Alice Sherwood, yeah we will we'll give her a hunt <laughs> we'll contact her just like we did you with bobby and i say that you recommended her and uh, and um i love to learn more about her book as well so if anyone wants to get hold of your book your new one on generations and um, where, where can they get hold of it bobby
1: oh hopefully i mean i know it's a global audience for yours, also but it is on amazon um on, yeah but if you've got other local Sellers that you prefer, then it should be on those two. Like say, the US version has got a slightly different take. It's the same content, but it's uh, that's out on the 26th of October. If there's any US people, but you can get the UK version, which is is the same um, in terms of the, the argument and the data. Um, the the book is the book is international, deliberately trying to look across countries, not just UK or not just UK and US. It's got lots from Europe and and elsewhere, too, in terms of the data that I look at, because I think, I mean, like, that, you know, not the same reason you've got an international audience is we're all grappling with similar sorts of things around this, Um, so I I try to look across countries as well.
0: Yeah, all the way to Hawaii and back. Yeah. And around the world, we are all going through similar. We're, um, we're, We're in different boats, but we're all going through similar stormy waters and how we're approaching things at the moment so thank you so I'm looking forward to getting my hands on a copy. in particular I'm also going to make sure that um, I don't sit back and watch Things happen but play a part in what that future looks like for my children um and for future generations um i'm gonna take a listen to sweet dreams sweet cheeks by lost <laughs> <laughs> <Good. laughs> um, and i'm also gonna hunt alice to see if she would like to be a guest on inspire club and talk to us about authenticity and um, a real big subject and uh, words coming up a lot for us and if any football managers are listening and would like and um, would be willing for bobby to come and shadow them for a day um, then No, but not from Arsenal, right?
1: <laughs> no, from Arsenal. From, uh, from Arsenal, Arsenal okay. Getting, we've got to make sure, yes, definitely Arsenal. Uh,
0: just, just the Arsenal <laughs> manager, okay. Just the
1: Arsenal manager, yeah. <laughs> if Nicola Teta is a listener, that would be great. Okay.
0: Bobby, it's been so great to talk to you today, and um, I'll make sure that Sonia, who recommended you, is one of your first listeners to this episode as soon as it's live. Um, I've really, really enjoyed it, and i found it super interesting. All the best for next Thursday with Book launch.
1: I know it's not as easy
0: without having a party and people in a room, but good luck with everything. And, um, yeah, thank you again from all of us at Inspiring Workplaces.
1: No problem. Thank you, Reese. I really enjoyed it.